Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Guys, it matters what you believe. Simple sincerity of faith can make you sincerely wrong for all eternity. If you walk away from the truth of God's word and the fullness of the teachings of grace, bringing back the burden of the law, hey, you have to have this and you got to do this. If you pervert the purpose of grace and use it as a license then to live outside the will and plan of God. Oh, I'm saved by grace, saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to go and live like the rest of the world because I got my fire escape. I got my get out of jail free card. That's not the heart of a believer. That's the heart of a deceiver. Do you understand how much what you believe matters? Today, Pastor David encourages you to have a heart of a believer instead of a deceiver. As a disciple of Jesus, it's important to understand the balance of walking in truth and grace. Walk away from either one, and you could disciple others towards legalism or living like the world. Pastor David stresses the importance of staying in God's Word and seeking Him. By doing so, God will empower you to live a life of faith that bears witness to Him. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 2 John chapter 1 as he continues his message, Walking in Truth. It's when we are walking in obedience to God that our love for one another can really be true and really grow. He tells us in verse 6, this is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. You've heard this commandment. You've heard it over and over and over. You need to be walking in it. You need to be living it. You need to put shoe leather to the commandment that you've heard. There's no doubt Love one another. The way that the sentence is formulated leads us to believe that perhaps some of these false teachers, they came in with a false doctrine. Maybe they were trying to twist the Lord's words around in reference, in, in reference to that importance of our love for one another. But John says, no, you heard that commandment. You heard it from the very beginning. Don't let them twist it or say, well, because of this or that. No, you knew this from the very beginning. You need to love one another. Verse 7, because he says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, what does it say, church? Does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. John now kind of shifts, and this shift is still tied, again, to to live our lives in truth, to live our lives in obedience to the commandments of God. And there appears to be this 
direct tie-in between the plea of verse 5 and the warning of verses 7 and 8. The plea of verse 5, again, was that uh, we would love one another. Now here in 7 and 8, he's talking about these deceivers that are coming in, and plus he's telling about you need to look to yourselves and see what's going on in your own life. Again, warning to that, that we need to walk in accordance to the commandments that we've received from the very beginning, and the fact that these deceivers, that these false doctrines, they're on the rise, they're twisting the very doctrines that are the foundation of Christianity. And that's the same battle that he spoke of over in 1 John in chapter 4. Yeah, go ahead and flip over there, just a page over, or maybe just right across the page. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, he tells the church, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, Man, there's a lot of spiritual people in the world. There's a lot of spiritual happenings in the world. But he says you need to test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has what? Has come in the flesh is of God. That's a particular battle that they were fighting. We spoke about that last week, that again, Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He came in the spirit, and he was kind of a spirit being and all of those kinds of things. He says, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Guys, it is of monumental importance what you believe about Jesus Christ. As I, I think we even shared this last week. You get that wrong, you're just in the wrong court. You're in the wrong ball field. There's no way with, with a wrong understanding of Christ that you can have the trueness of the salvation that the word of God speaks about. Just as in 1 John, he warned the church to be on the lookout for those false teachers, for those antichrists. So now here in 2 John, the apostle says that, man, there's many deceivers have gone out into the world. There's no doubt they, they had a little bit of truth. Maybe they had a whole lot of truth. But they had enough that, what did it become then, church? A lie. Even if they have a lot of truth, they mix it with untruths or half-truths or partial truths or shadings of the truth, holding back the fullness of the truth, all of that is a form of a lie. And because of this, they showed themselves to be deceivers and, as John says, an antichrist. Not the antichrist, but someone who is antichrist. Christ, that spirit of Antichrist. When John tells the church there in verse 8, back in 2 John, he says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. You know what he's telling them there? Examine your own lives. Examine what you believe. Look to yourself, he says. Not to get the answers of truth within yourself. He's not saying, look within and you can find the truth within. That's not what he's saying here. What he's talking about is, again, that we ourselves, we have to be found as believing, faithful children that are walking in 
the truth. Look to yourselves. Because if you don't have that, man, the joy that I have of knowing that you're a believer, suddenly, man, I lose that. Because if you're not a believer and you've just been playing games all this time, John says, man, we're going to lose the things we worked for. Even that full reward, man. We, we thought that, man, God is moving powerfully. And all we were doing was looking on the outside. And woe be to any pastor or ministry leader that only looks on the outside. John even returns to the idea, the same kind of an idea in, in his next letter in, in 3 John. Look across the page probably or down, down in verse 3 and 4 of 3 John. He says, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that's in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. But you know what? I bet he has no greater heartbreak than to find that one who seemed that they had the truth was all external and not real and true. Back here in 2 John, verse 8. Look to yourselves. Examine yourselves. Because John wants his joy to remain too. The joy of seeing and knowing that his children are walking in the truth. John had poured out his life, he had poured out his ministry to bring the truth to these people. Some were walking in truth, and he said, man, when I see that, that brings me such great joy. But he also wanted to know that the others had caught on to that truth, that they had truly come to salvation in Christ, that their lives had truly been changed, been born again, that there had been a point in time of confession and repentance and that new life that's there. Don't tell me when you speak of your salvation experience that I just started going to church and, man, now I've got a great walk with God. Guys, that's not a salvation experience. That's just a change of direction. You see, a salvation experience has to be, according to God's word, it has to be that understanding that, man, my sin was before me. And I knew that if I stayed in that sin, eternity of hell awaited me. But I heard of the gift of Christ. And I gave my heart and life to him. And I surrendered. I died to self in order that he would be real. Now, not those exact words, but that whole thing. That's why Jesus told a man like Nicodemus, a good man, a religious man. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom of heaven. That's what he was pushing for, that whole idea That's why Jesus in the Gospels over and over and over and over again says, unless you die, take up your cross and die. You can't be my disciples because of the importance of that. It's not just knowing the truth here. It's got to get 18 inches deeper and it's got to change the heart. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what, again, the the experience of being a believer, the experience of being a true follower of Jesus Christ is all about. 
to come to salvation in Christ with a life that's changed. Now, I understand some came to Christ as little bitty children, and what a blessing that is, man, because you probably don't have nearly the scars and the luggage that some of the rest of us carry with us. You know, yeah, man, I came to Christ here, but boy, there was a whole lot of stuff that I did in the past, and I know I'm forgiven, but I still need to deal with that. How sweet, how precious it is when a child in a Christian home comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. But you know what? Even when I speak with them, I ask them that question. Do you know what sin is? Tell me in your own words what sin is. What did Jesus do about your sin? And they need to know that. Because it's for a four-year-old to say, oh, I love Jesus and I just want to follow Jesus. Well, sure, why not? But is that truly born again? Is that a changed life? It's not until we come to the urgency of the greatness of our need that we surrender. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence daily live. When he writes in verse 9 here, you guys better hurry or you'll never get done with this short little book. Verse 9, when he writes, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Okay, we need to be careful here because some who are legalistic and heavy say, oh, you sin." You don't abide with God. You can't be in God. But we need to understand, just like in 1 John, where he went into this in greater detail, he's not talking here about the occasional stumble. The occasional stumble, he who says he has no sins, he deceives himself and the truth is not in him. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what he wrote to us in 1 John. So we know, hey, yeah, when I stumble, when I stumble, not if I stumble, but when I stumble, I've got an advocate with the Father. And I confess that sin before him. My sin forgiven past, present, and future. But as I confess that sin on a regular basis, the fellowship remains open. What he's speaking about here is whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. You have a bad doctrine of who Christ is. You're still living in sin. You haven't repented. There's never been a brokenness in your life. He says you don't have God. But he who abides in the doctrine of Christ, and that's not just about who Christ is, but the whole doctrine of Christ, what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you abide in the doctrine of Christ, man, you've got both the Father and the Son. He's speaking there in that first part about those that, again, they are, they're not walking in the truth. They're holding on maybe to these false doctrines. They're attempting even to pull other believers into their lies and into their own deceit. Guys, it matters what you believe. Simple sincerity of faith can make you sincerely wrong for all eternity. If you walk away from the truth of God's word and the fullness of the teachings of grace, bringing back the burden of the law, hey, you have to have this and you got to do this. If you pervert the purpose of grace and use it as a license then to live outside the will and plan of God, oh, I'm saved by grace, saved by the blood of Jesus. I'm going to go and live like the rest of the world because I got my fire escape. I got my get out of jail free card. That's not the heart of a believer. That's a heart of a deceiver. 
If you don't understand who Jesus is, that he himself declared that he and the Father are one, and that's the very fact that they crucified him for. That's why the Jews charged him with blasphemy, because he said that I and the Father are one, that Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. Then you don't understand who Jesus is. Out of concern for these false teachers coming in, presenting themselves as as some kind of an authority in the church, John writes to them down in verse 10. He says, if anyone comes to you and they don't bring this same doctrine, don't you dare receive him into your house or greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now let me stop right here and kind of explain what John is not saying, okay? Because in understanding what he's not saying, it'll be easier to understand what he is saying. He's not saying that you totally write off that Mormon uncle of yours and you don't even say hello, have a good day, even though he's family. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, when, when he says, if you greet him, you'll be sharing in his evil deeds. That's, that's not what he's dealing with here. He, neither is he telling the church to, to snub your neighbor who's a Jehovah's Witness or who's in the Church of Scientology or your neighbor, your co-worker. Uh, don't you dare invite those people to that block party that you're having at your house. You snub them with everything. That's not what he's saying here, church. He's not saying, well, if you invite them to your you know, neighborhood Christmas party, you're going to be sharing in their deeds. That's not what he's dealing with. I don't believe for one moment that that's what he's speaking of here. What he's dealing with is you as a believer to receive their teachings, accepting them even as fellow believers and entertaining any portion of their false doctrine. You do that. You bring them into your home to teach you their false doctrine. You're sharing in their evil deeds. But you know what? The love of Christ needs to be pouring out of you because they are lost. They are destined for an eternity in hell. And if you don't share the truth with them, who will? He's not saying snub them and and put a wall around that says, no, only, you know, only real true believers, and here's a little test you got to pass before you can come in. And no, that's not what he's saying. He hasn't called any of us to to be recluses and to live as monks and, you know, just, you know, we four and no more kind of a thing. We need to interact because, again, it's just the same way of what Paul had to deal with. Remember the church in Corinth that was dealing with sexual sin there and Paul wrote to them and said man you need to get that out of your church you need to stay away from that but then Paul had to kind of explain to the church what he meant turn there if you would first Corinthians chapter 5 because the the same principle comes here with those, yeah, that may be teachers of false doctrine. They may be caught up in some cult. They may be LDS. They may be Jehovah's Witness, Church of Scientology, Apostolics, whatever. You've got to be careful on this. But look at the principle of what Paul tells the church here. He dealt with the fact that somebody was in the church. They said that they were a brother in Christ, and yet they were living in sexual relationship with their stepmother in open understanding that apparently everybody knew, but the church was saying, oh, that's okay. We're just showing grace to this guy, just showing grace. Paul says, are you out of your mind? 
the world sees him in the church and it says that he's a believer. You get him out of the church. But then listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, down in verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. He says, he says he's not saying, I'm not telling you to don't, you know, be, be involved with lost people's lives. Man, you'd, you'd have to become a monk and live, you know, in a cave someplace. He says, no, you're living in the world. You're going to be dealing with that. He says, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. And that's probably not an all-exclusive list there, folks. He says, not even to eat with such a person. So what he's saying there is the one that comes in and sits next to us, and he's living a life of immorality. And in essence, everybody knows it. He's no, there's no remorse. There's no brokenness in his life. And he continues to claim himself as a brother. You say, you think that's all right? No. But you know, when somebody comes in, and they're an adulterer, or they're a drunkard, or they're covetous, and they come in and they sit with us because they want to hear the truth. You know what? The love of Jesus needs to be all over them. All over them. I don't care what their sexual orientation is. I don't care what their background is. They come through these doors wanting to hear the truth. They need to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Because guys, if they don't hear it here, they're not going to hear it in the world. And so in the same way, Paul dealt here the same way, lost people all around us. In the course of our lives, we're going to be interacting with lost people. So the situation, again, is the same for what John wrote in reference to this proclaiming of false doctrine. Somebody that, man, they're caught up in those lies. They're caught up in that deceit. Man, don't shun them. Love them to Jesus. But you need to be walking in the truth yourself. You see, you need to be walking in obedience in order that the Holy Spirit can use you. Look for open doors. You don't receive them as brothers and sisters in Christ. If their doctrine is false, you've got to be so careful there. You don't accept them in, in, as, as a brother and sister in Christ. Because if their doctrine is false and you accept them as a brother and sister in Christ, you're opening yourself up, number one, to their lies. And then secondly, and I think almost as, if not more important, you're giving them false assurance of their own salvation. John ends the short letter and so shall we. Verse 12. I had many things to write to you. I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face that your joy may be full. FaceTime wasn't going to work. Snapchat wasn't going to work. Instagram left way too much to be desired. After all your Facebook posts, it's already like a week old. I don't, you know, I want to see you face to face. I want to experience, man, sitting across the table with you that my joy may be complete. He sends his greetings from the church that he's at, the sister church. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Amen. Open our hearts, change
Thanks for joining Pastor David today to study the letters of the Apostle John here on The Open Word. Though our program will come to an end today, your time in God's Word can continue uninterrupted. In fact, we encourage you to study today's passage on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak through what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you can find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us Saturday, Sunday, or Wednesday for our weekly gatherings at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find service times and directions by clicking the church link at theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially need prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts will be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Thank you for praying and thank you for being a listener to The Open Word. Make us more.